0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Ian James Wright from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to The Alphabetical Fugazi, the only podcast that devotes an episode each to discussing every song in the band's catalog from Fuga-A to Fugazi. z Joining me today to discuss Recap Madati" from the 1998 album End Hits is Rob Reginio, a longtime fan of the band from Brooklyn. Rob, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, let me start by apologizing to your listeners that I'm not some cool uh you know inch uh you know guitar player or somebody who's like a real great friend of the band, just a fan here, somebody who's been in a relationship with Fugazi since nineteen ninety one and I just love your podcast and I consider it an honor to be here to speak to you about them.
0: As far as I'm concerned, being a big fan of the band is good enough for me. I think that's a well-established cool. precedent on this podcast.
1: I hope some people listen when they see the name on the uh, <laughs> on the post.
0: <laughs> we'll uh, I'll, I'll lure them in when I post on Facebook. I'll say, "Oh, this is a this is an old friend of Joe's from from way back." Oh, day. Uh,
1: yeah, uh, forget it. Me and Joe grew up together. I actually <laughs> taught him to play bass. I was waiting to surprise you with that.
0: Um, well, I mean, tell me the truth, though. What What is the actual uh, facts around your fandom of Fugazi? Do you remember the first time you heard them and got into them?
1: Uh, yeah, and it's kind of a weird story for them being, you know, my favorite band in the world and loving them as much as I do today as I did from day one. The very, very first time I heard the band, I actually <laughs> didn't like them. It was a really, really quick thing um i was about 16 years old i was with a friend and i got into someone's car you know mutual friend's car i don't even remember whose it was and he had this music playing and i said what is this and he goes oh this is fugazi and the one thing i do remember is it was off the 13 songs compilation you know it was it was the first first uh couple of songs that they made and i don't know i guess i just wasn't ready for that type of raw intensity or that raw sound that they have um were
0: you a fan of punk at all at the time
1: no that's that that's the thing growing up you know i i i was born and grew up in brooklyn and staten island and i don't know if you know much about staten island but it's kind of uh it's a very niche group to find you know like-minded people when it comes to punk Right. Um mo- most people in this area their idea of hard rock you know would be things and I'm not disparaging any bands but you know it's like Bon Jovi and
0: I was just going to say when I think of Staten Island I think of people jamming out to I don't know Def Leppard or <laughs> something uh, like that.
1: Exactly. It was a lot a lot of the 80s hair metal bands and then a lot of like house music and disco and it was just a lot of goombas in this place. So, thankfully, there was a couple of older kids on my block where I grew up, but they were more into, like, they introduced me to, like, rock and roll. So, at, like, 15 years old, I was into, like, Van Halen and ZZ Top, and as, as much as I like those types of bands, it's like, you know, singing about, like, summer nights and getting drunk and picking up hot chicks, it just didn't really do it for me. Mm-hmm. So the actual first band that really meant something to me ironically was Public Enemy. I discovered Public Enemy at about 15 or 16 and you know just the no nonsense, you know, straightforward this this music means something. These guys are they're angry, they have something to say and this just you know it sounds important. And I loved the music and i i could recall now you know being a 15 year old kid my father screaming at me like get that crap off what's wrong with you you're listening to that what you know as you would imagine uh, a 50 something year old man yelling at their 15 year old son about the music he's listening to sure so it was around the same time like i said i got into that person's car and he told me he was listening to fugazi and it was like a 5 minute car ride and i just i, I don't know i didn't really didn't connect with me i was like that was like some weird music anyway it stuck with me i didn't stop thinking about it for days and days and days and i just for something about the, the word fugazi as ian states it's a beautiful word i went to the record store and I said, let me see what I could find, and I found Steady Diet of Nothing. I saw the cassette sitting in the wall. It was one cassette. I I was surprised that a Staten Island mall would even carry a Fugazi album. So I bought the album, and (laughs) again, the opening song, obviously, Exit Only. You know, it's a Gi song, and he starts opening the song with his exoutan and all his, you know, his weird phrasing. And again, I was still like, this is like really weird. What is this? I just, again, I don't think I was ready for it, but then when reclamation hit in my whole life changed, you know, the, the, guitar intro to that song. And then, and then obviously when Joe's bass comes in, I was like, Whoa, this is unbelievable and then the lyrics in reclamation for a fugazi song are pretty straightforward i knew immediately what he was talking about you know i knew it was a pro choice song and you know women's rights and all of that so i again being a fan of public enemy i was like this is uh this is real this is something that it's not just play playful music it's not just to entertain there's a message here <clears throat> so i Started listening to the album more and more, and I fell in love with it. And like most people, that you know, I've heard other guests on your podcast. I found Repeater. I found Thirteen Songs compilation. I, I consider thirteen. I keep calling it a compilation because it is, but I, I kind of consider that an album. Yeah, I, I found it at you know you know I found it as an album. I in, in 1987 I was 12 years old, so I really wasn't into <laughs> punk yet. <laughs> So I always consider it was it was way down the road. I actually even figured out that it was two separate EPs.
0: Yeah, I certainly um, experienced it for the first time as an album in in my mind. Yes,
1: right. So to me, you know, Glue Man going into Margin Walker is completely normal. I, Glue Man's not really a closer to me. Promises is the closer of that album. So anyway, you know, like any old fan, just you know it it was it was hard to keep up with the band. People don't realize back then uh, younger people there was no internet, there was no iPhones. I used to have to look so hard to try and find out if they had an album coming out or if they were actually playing. There was this one newspaper in New Jersey called The Aquarium. Well, the Village Voice too, I get the Village Voice. And another newspaper, it was called the, the, uh, the Aquarium. And in the back, they would have just little, little boxes of bands that were playing. And I would just, you know, week after week be looking for that word. And I finally found it for the first time in 93. Um, I saw them at City Gardens in Trenton, New Jersey. And <clears throat> like kismet, they opened up with a little bit of a jam flowed right into reclamation and I was just trying not to cry. I'll be honest with you. It it almost brought me to tears being so young. It was really only my third or fourth live show to begin with. You know, I was still relatively new to live music and being so up close to the band and, you know, you know, they are a very loud band and they have no barricade. It just changed everything for me. And then I just devoured everything that they did, you know, from then on, you know, and on the kill taker comes out, that changes my life even more. That's, that's actually my favorite album. Facet squared to me is the greatest opener that has ever existed in music history. (laughs) I know my opinion doesn't carry much weight, but for someone who's been to a million shows and listens to a lot of music, uh, you know, that that that's my stance and I'm sticking to it.
0: I am not I'm not going to argue with that at all. Um, by the way, I'm, I I just uh, as you were talking, I looked up this City Garden show. It looks like they played two nights in a row and you saw the second night.
1: I, you know what? I didn't even realize that they played two nights. Yeah, I, they, I just saw that they were playing they, I remember the Luna Chicks opened. I don't yes. know if they opened both nights. Uh,
0: Girls versus Boys opened the first night on the 17th and the 18th. Uh, Luna Chicks opened and they started with a Bayou instrumental into Reclamation, exactly as you say. They, yeah, there yeah. you
1: go. Uh, yeah, So th- that's the show. That was my first Fugazi show of I believe 10, I 9 or 10. I mean, I was at all three of the Irving Plaza shows. I was at the two Roseland shows. Um, the greatest live show I've ever been to in my life, May 1st, 1997, at the Palladium. I went with about six people. We we all reminisce about that show every couple of years. And I don't understand why it is not on the Fugazi Live series. <clears throat> There's images of that show in the instrument documentary you see ian singing break they have footage i guess jem cohen shot footage of the ticket line outside i remember seeing people with cameras in the crowd but for some reason ian i've been checking the the fugazi live series for years and years now it says it's available Hmm. somebody named john fazio recorded that show (laughs) and i believe you you know someone else you had on the podcast uh gunther who does a lot of writing on the discord live series i'm sh- you know he he was your guest i think for Down city yes he claims he's heard this recording <laughs> um i sent him a you know a private message begging him that <laughs> i you know i i would pay i would travel whatever I need to do because all I have is that one memory of that show that night. I, you know, but for some reason it says it was recorded, but it's not updated on the, on the discord website. There's nothing on YouTube. I Google it. I daily motion it. I go to Twitter occasionally and I just type in Fugazi live palladium New York City, and I don't get anything.
0: Have you ever, you ever tried to contact the band about this? Because uh, I, I feel like I, they're still working on it and putting these out uh, occasionally.
1: <laughs> yeah, all, all I, all I did was a few years ago was I wrote long, basically what I told you just now. I wrote on the website underneath that show. Um, I still have the clipping from the newspaper. That I cut out that says Rock Hotel presents Fugazi at the Palladium May 1st uh, I sent that picture to them saying that they could use that picture for the show if they want uh, they never wound up using it but uh, you know what I used to email back and forth with Guy a lot he was really good about responding to emails very quickly I'd get a, like a, re- a reply two or three days later but, no, I, ne- I never thought about asking them about that. I just figured if it became available to them, they would get it on to the you know, to the site. But that night was just different. When I tell you they opened up with Do You Like Me? They closed, the, you know, before their encores, I believe that they may have closed with, oh, man. All I know is that they closed the, the entire show with Bad Mouth, which was the most unbelievable thing it was you know kind of extended as they do but it was just an immaculate show and like i said i reminisce with the five or six people that i went with i'm like is it just me am i romanticizing about that show a little bit and they're like no that's the greatest live show out of hundreds of concerts whether we go to see little independent bands in bars and clubs or you know we're at MetLife Stadium seeing Rush. I mean, anything. That was the greatest live show I've ever seen in my life. The security guards, I swear to you, the big bad security guards had big smiles on their faces and they were dancing. I have the image in my head. For some reason, I cannot get any any footage of that show, Ian, and it's driving me crazy.
0: <laughs> well, my curiosity is certainly peaked, and I would love to hear a recording myself. So, uh, yeah, maybe we should start a letter writing campaign to Discord. You like? <laughs> the people demand May first, nineteen ninety seven. Get it up online, guys!
1: Well, that was absolutely the best time I saw them. Um, and then you and I were actually at a show together. I believe you said you were at the 2004 Reno show. That's the famous uh, lightning strike as turnover was playing. Oh, I'll
0: be discussing that in the Turner Over episode uh, when that comes uh, up for sure. That was yeah, I, the... I can't
1: I can't wait for that one.
0: <laughs> that that's what I always say it was the greatest show of my life. I mean, for for yes, that, that for that, that moment was... alone.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, I, I remember them at that show doing Epic Problem. It was the first time I heard Epic Problem. It was amazing. And you have to YouTube it if you haven't already. There's a version of Full Disclosure that they do. I believe it's actually right before... Yeah, it's right before Epic Problem. It's it's early in the set. It's... it's and I actually emailed Guy about this. It's Full Disclosure and Strange Light together. It was one song. So he starts the song off. It's a much slower... You know, melodic version of full disclosure with the strange light beat behind it. So then, when the argument came out, I emailed Gee, and he replied to me. He's like, "Yes." He's like, "We just couldn't get the the track down the way we wanted to in the studio." He's like, "Great ear by you. Uh, you know, it's amazing that you picked that up." But they couldn't you know i'm 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 trying to recall his response it was something along the lines that they couldn't get the track down it was like a monster of a, of a track and they wound up cutting it into two songs which i guess worked out because now it's two great songs
0: yeah if you found if you find what he emailed to you send it to me and i'll talk about that in the strange light episode yeah I, I have to go back and re-listen to uh to that show it is on youtube
1: I absolutely will. I'll, I'll 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 research some archives and email you whatever I can find, or I'll even post it in the alphabetical Fugazi Facebook
0: page. Sweet. Um. And, so you said in total, I think you saw them uh, eleven times, I guess.
1: It was actually ten. Um, ten. Uh, yeah, I was counting the two thousand one Fort Reno show as well, but I forgot that I didn't go to that show. I I don't know why. I was talking to my friend. That I drove down to DC with for the 2000 show, my best friend Vinny, and I did not go to the 2001 show. I thought I did, but I didn't. So once I tally all of the shows that I went to, it's, it's, it's 10. I saw them a nice even 10 times.
0: That makes you a real uh, Fugazi veteran. Um, so yeah, you're, you're one of the lucky ones. I, I wish I had seen them that many times. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 a little bit older than some of the fans that are around now. I know a lot of people never got to see them, and you know, luckily, I'm in a you know I'm in New York, so it was easy for me to drive to Philadelphia, to Jersey. They played a lot in this area. You know, I, I saw them in D.C., I saw them in Jersey, I saw them in New York, I saw them in Philly, so. Um, it, You know, it, a lot of people, certain places, they're not around as much, so it's probably harder to see over the years. I'm, I regret not seeing them more. Like you said, I missed that first City Garden show, which now I'm upset about. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess as a bit of a segue into the topic at hand, you probably saw them play the song Recap Modazzi" live, because it seems like, in the at least in the shows after End Hits came out, they played this quite a lot.
1: You just jogged my memory. They actually played it that night <clears throat> at the Palladium. But it was like a different version of the song where Guy and Ian would like bookend Joe for a certain part of the song. And they, they actually had lines in the song that they would they'd jump in and they'd have. I couldn't. If you go to YouTube again, because I was trying to do research and find this for you. Luckily, there's a show from May 3rd, two days after the Palladium show. At the sounds, uh, I believe it's the electric factory in um, Philadelphia. that they, they did two days later and they played the song obviously the same way they did on May 1st of 97 with Gee and Ian bookending Joe. You know, they had the three mics straight across the front. Joe started off the song. It was a much more aggressive version of the song. You Know Joe would like he, instead of you know quietly just singing like he, he does on the, the album, it was a you know very uh very aggressive singing style he was using. I don't want to say screaming, but he was you know singing more aggressive than he does now with that song. And Guy and Ian had a great great part um where they would jump in, I think twice they jump in, and then there was another verse to the song right before. The outside my window, you know, verse comes in. There's, really? there's, there's uh, yeah, there's no, no, another little stanza in there that he sings. Um, yeah, if, if I, yeah, you, I watched
0: you... several examples on YouTube, but I think I feel like I didn't see that one. That's pretty interesting. I'll have to, yeah. uh, I'll have to go back and and take a look at that.
1: Goog- Google or YouTube, uh, you know, just Fugazi, uh, Philadelphia electric factory and that may 3rd show should pop up and it's there i watched it a couple of times yeah. and that's where like i said i remember that from the palladium show as well and you know losing my mind that the three of them were singing at the same time it it knocked my socks off
0: it's funny you bring that up because i was wondering as i was watching these youtube clips why so they would you know they would decide okay joe's gonna sing the next one we're gonna do this song and then, like, a roadie would bring the third mic, the third mic stand in, and put it in the middle of the stage, and Joe would come up. Right. And I was wondering, like, why Why are they bothering to bring another mic? Why doesn't he just, like, step up to Guy's mic or whatever? And I was like, I wonder if it's just for sanitary reasons. Like, he doesn't want to put his face in the mic that Guy's been screaming into all night. <laughs> but but maybe that's a factor. Like, maybe uh, there were times when Guy and Ian just wanted to join in, at least on earlier versions of this song. So uh, maybe That's that a has something point. to do with it.
1: Yeah, it it, it could be. You're right. I can could, I could picture Jerry Busher grabbing a mic and bringing it up to the front so that Joe could... Like, you always knew, okay, Joe's song's coming up. They're bringing the mic yeah. up to the front middle of the stage.
0: And the other thing is I've, I watched at least, like, two versions where either uh, his mic, when he started singing, was turned way... Too low in the mix, or it wasn't working at all. So I was like, "Why? are they bothering with this? Just having to step up to one of the other lights." It seems to not work sometimes, um, but uh, yeah, it's that's that's good for me. Yeah, interesting. Thoughts. I'll have to check out that version.
1: Yeah, it's it's, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, well, so recap Modati. There, there are a lot of facts I think to to <laughs> discuss off the bat here. I, I'm right. guessing you probably did some research and found out some stuff about Tina Modati, like I did.
1: Tina Modati was a wild, wild girl.
0: (laughs) Now, were you familiar with this uh, historical arts figure uh, before the song?
1: I I knew of her only because when the album came out, I I did research the title and her name came up. But that was kind of where it ended for me. You know, 1998, I I didn't really do too much research. I just wanted to know what the title meant. And then, you know, she was, uh, you know, part of uh, Frida... Carla's K- life yeah and she does she does show up in, in that movie about her and, and there's also documentaries on youtube about her, two of them together both being kind of revolutionaries but in doing research before this podcast about her she was really an amazing like you know no, uh, uh, unlike anybody else really for the time period she caused waves (laughs) in so many different countries. I mean, she, she, from, from Italy to the United States, to Spain, to Russia, she was like extradited out of countries and banned from certain places. And uh, like so much went on. She she was just such a revolutionary and such a, a, you know, somebody who started as a model and and an actress. And then she was a photographer, I believe before all of that started.
0: Yeah. I, I guess I'll, I, I just, I'll I'll give like a brief uh, timeline of things just so uh, listeners who haven't looked her up can have uh, a little backbone to the story of Tina Modati. She was born in Italy and uh, at the age of 16 uh, in the year 1913, she immigrated to the United States like by herself to join her father in San Francisco. And she actually never again returned to Italy because, you know, sort of in that era the fascists came to power and she you know went on to become like a communist revolutionary and was like she probably would have been imprisoned or or executed if right exactly the, the italian fascists uh, got their hands on her um but right. yeah so in in the united states she appeared in several plays and operas in like the italian speaking um community i guess in the united states and she was in silent films also and then uh, 1923, she moved to Mexico City. She opens a portrait studio. She falls in with yeah, Frida Kahlo, Lupe Marin, Diego Rivera, these other art figures, but also like the, the art world and the sort of revolutionary politics world were very intertwined. And in 1927, right. she joins the Mexican Communist Party. Her photography career that she was, uh, you know, uh, getting off the ground really turned from more like romantic in nature to revolutionary. And, yes. uh the the Mexican government at that time was you know it was very anti-communist and sort of as a result of that she was eventually exiled from Mexico in 1930 um I mean I'm, I'm skipping over a lot of stuff here but just there's es- so much Yeah, to, so to establish much. like what it talks about in the song about her kind of being stateless and like itinerant and going from place to place in her life I think I just wanted to establish that so yeah she right. gets exiled from Mexico and um, the Italian government was trying to like extradite her, get her back to Italy, and you know, as a subversive national. Um, but right. you know, with the help of sort of like communist organizations, she spent uh, several months in Berlin and then several years in Moscow. Yeah, she like she, apparently she wanted to get to Italy eventually, like in a in an underground way to join the anti fascist resistance there. Um, but yes. uh, it, I guess it seemed like a smarter move for her eventually to uh, to move to Russia. And then, you know, that's sort of when her photography career ended and she wasn't really active uh, there any longer. And then uh, when the Spanish Civil War kicked off, she went to Spain and stayed and worked there for a few years. And after that Republican movement collapsed, she left Spain, went back to Mexico under a pseudonym. And finally, in 1942, she was 45 years old and she died from heart failure on her way home in a taxi from a dinner at Pablo Neruda's house in Mexico City and apparently right. there are some some people who viewed her death as suspicious and perhaps uh, orchestrated but I guess that's 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 an open question for the ages.
1: Yeah, I believe the coroner result, you know, ruled her death as, you know, internal organ failure and heart failure, but you know, back then I'm sure they could have gotten away with anything. Yeah. <laughs> Um and and hence the the opening line in the song recap in taxi. I, I always yes. wondered about that line, and obviously that's what he's getting at.
0: So I have a couple of conspiracy theories myself about this song. Right? Let me okay. okay. <laughs> let me run this by you. So first of all, let me submit these facts to a candid world because uh, some people may know that Joe Lally uh, married an Italian woman and moved to Italy for a time. Yes, um, and he- learned
1: to speak. Italian, yes. right. <laughs> His wife is
0: also a photographer, an Italian photographer, Antonia Tricarico. Um, I yes. don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly, but she has this uh, book of uh, uh, photographs called Frame of Mind, colon, Punk Photos and Essays from Washington, D.C. and Beyond, 1997 to 2017. So, um, yeah, she's she was born and raised in Italy. She met Joe in 1995 at a Fugazi show in Rome where she was working sound, and uh, in 1997... She moved to D.C. and they got married in 1998. And this song was released in 1998. So, I ask you, Rob, Joe meets this Italian photographer and falls in love with her. And then uh, after they get married, or writes this song about an Italian photographer. I I submit to you that she turned him on to this this whole world.
1: Without question, <laughs> without
0: question. <laughs> um, and my my second uh, total um, just total out-on-a-limb conspiracy theory is um, to talk about the word recap. We, we haven't talked about, uh, in a while on this show, etymology. The roots, the but, uh, you know, recap, recapitulation, comes from Latin, from uh, recapitulare, to, which means, like, literally, because capitulum is like the head. Or, uh, right. It means to go over the main points, the heads, of a, of a thing, again. So, like, to to just summarize, restate the main uh, points of something. But um, I, just on a hunch, I wanted to look up how would you say re- recapitulation in Italian. And okay. so the Italian translation, I, I'm, I, you know, I don't speak Italian, but I believe it's pronounced as such, recapitolazione. So that sounds, that sounds good to me <laughs> that L-A-Z-I it's like Lazzi is, you know, like you'd like you'd pronounce Nazi, right? The same way. So right. if, you, if you say that quickly, recapitulazione kind of sounds like recapping taxi to me. So I just in my mind, the, the way I put things together, I'm like, I wonder if he heard someone say that word uh, when he's learning Italian, possibly even his wife saying that word. And he the phrase recap and taxi just pops into his mind and he puts that together with what he knows about uh, Tina Modati and writes this song. That is my theory about (laughs) this song. What do you think, Rob?
1: This is why I love your podcast, Ian. That is amazing (laughs) and completely how I feel now. I will use your story when talking to people (laughs) about this (laughs) song from now on as as my own
0: please, please no, that, make it that, clear that i'm just pulling that out of my ass completely
1: um, no obviously of course but that 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 is so well thought out man that's great i love that
0: and now i'm guessing rob your last name is Reginio. you've got this you know real new york accent your best friend's name is vinny i feel like i feel like you have some uh italian in the background of your own uh, heritage yes
1: I, I've never done a 23 in me. I'd like to, but (laughs) as far as my family and, you know, as far as I know, I'm yes, 100% Italian, Italian mother, Italian father, grandparents came from Italy. So yes, I don't speak a hint of Italian, but (laughs) you know, and I'm so sorry for this awful accent that I have that I don't really even notice until I hear myself on recordings it's really bad.
0: <laughs> no, I'm I'm enjoying it. I'm just I'm struggling not to like try not to try to put on a fake New York guy accent myself. So I'm the
1: the, the funny thing is I'm so not that guy, you know, like the person that I sound like. I I am not, you know, Staten Island, Brooklyn, uh, you know, depends on what area you go to, but, but it's it's a lot of just, you know, trumpy conservative goombas that just like listen to freaking uh, you know i don't even I, don't, I can't even give you an example because i never ever listened to that type of music but just like this like dance club music <laughs> with the bass blowing their windows out in their cars and i was like uh you know, in high school, I, I was kind of like you know, I'd walk around with Pearl Jam and Sonic Youth T-shirts, and people would make fun of me. They didn't know who these bands were.
0: This is why people find Fugazi. It's it's the, exactly you know, counterculture. It's exactly that word. It, they don't like the culture oh, yes. surrounding them. They and you know, we we want something else. We feel like there's something else out there, and then Fugazi's there, and we're like, aha. This
1: it's so 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 unlike any other band. I mean, you talk about a, a super group. You know, I mean, I, the, the 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 fact that the four of these men are all the same age or close to the same age. You know, Ian and Joe. Uh, yeah, Ian and Joe went to high school together. were friends as kids. They all grew up in the D.C. Maryland area. It just blows my mind that they found each other and formed this just super group. And it really is a super group. You look at, I mean, besides Bad Brains, the two most influential groups out of D.C. have to be Minor Threat and Rites of Spring, right?
0: Yeah, and I I think... Yeah, the thing that always amazes me also is that if anybody was, was like a no one when they started out, it was Joe. But he, Yeah,
1: Joe... I mean, Talk, he, I've read articles where Joe was kind of amazed that Ian even wanted to play with him.
0: Yeah, he ended up becoming such an important part of the band. And yeah, absolutely. And this is the kind of song that really makes that clear. You know, it's it's a classic Joe bass line. It is. Yeah. It's this slinky thing. It's circular, right? It keeps going in circles and. It, you know it all goes sort of goes back to waiting room that's that's like the classic fugazi template and it's that same sort of baseline um and i was you know i was listening to the song i was thinking about it i was like you know this is one of those songs where your typical song the chorus is the thing that everyone likes about it you know it's the verse right. just kills time till you get to the chorus this song is not like that like for me there's there's a part where I, I mean, I don't even know if we would call it a chorus, right? Deceived, entrapment through belief. Um it's the part right. that's yes. different in the song. Um Yeah. It it's never repeated, so you probably wouldn't call it a chorus, but whatever you would call it, that's not the uh even though it's more energetic, it's more upbeat, that's that's not the good part of the song to me. The best part is the verses, the quiet parts, um where, yes. where it's just carried by this amazing classic Joe bass line and I maybe because it's like Joe's Song. They just it's mixed with tons of low ends, especially if you listen on like good headphones or a good system. It's uh they really let Joe be Joe on this one, and I love that.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, coming into this podcast since it was a Joe song, I was gonna kind of mention how Joe is like the secret weapon in Fugazi, maybe, but he's really not. The four of them really are because you know Ian and Gee, no explanation needed brendan is my favorite part of this song is the drum outro the the, the book ends of the song the beginning of the song it's, it's interesting that you brought up the you know, you know recap before recapitulation because i feel like the very very first few seconds of the song it sounds to me like brendan's drum beat is like a heartbeat. And I guess Gee with his Rickenbacker is making it sounds like a heart monitor almost. If you, if you really listen to it and think about mm-hmm. that, and and then the bass line kicks in and it and it's like it comes to life. It's like almost like something is on, you know, its last legs about to die, and then boom, 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 the, the bass line kicks in and then the song starts. And that's my I love that part. But then the end, you know, the, the drumming, and I don't know what ian is doing with his gibson but if you just listen to these sounds i mean they're sounds that i don't know if he could even replicate if they recorded the album the next day you know for a second time right i don't i don't know if he could ever make those sounds the same exact way again you know what i'm saying like there's such intricate little pieces of noise that he seems to just know how to do that nobody else that i've ever seen play does and it just it blows my mind but Joe you're right, you're right. Joe is unbelievable in the song and it is perfect Joe song.
0: Yeah, some of those little weird sounds that both start and end the song, like there's so there's some scratchy kind of sounds happening. Maybe like mm-hmm. a, a pick against the uh, sideways against guitar strings. I like it sounds to me like maybe there's some Picking, um, like behind the bridge or above the nut, so like there's like really like right. clinky little high pitched things, and of course yes. it's all bathed in tons of reverb. Um, yes. and and a first of all, I love the observation about like the heart monitor going along with the um the drum line, but B to I and I never thought of that before. But what I always thought about was it really sounds like kind of being in a car at night, especially. I don't know, going through a tunnel or something. That something about, something about it just really sets that mood for me, to the point where I was like, I had to go back to the lyrics and remind myself, like, yeah, it talks about a taxi. They ever talk about? Does Joe ever say the word night? And he does at the very end, but and I, I wasn't sure because I wasn't sure because I, I feel like the music sets that scene so well to me. Yes,
1: yeah, that's a great point.
0: Um, oh, also speaking of that drum beat in the beginning, um, I think it's worth noting that the thing I love about it most is this little sort of stutter that Brendan throws in there every every few bars with the like little rim clicks. It's boom, boom, tss, boom, boom. Tss, tss, yes. Yes. That that yes. little. Tss, tss. I I guess I guess it's like hitting his drumsticks on the rim of a snare or a tom or something like that. But um, it otherwise I think without that it would be a little bit like very peaceful um, standard kind of sound. But that little stutter he throws in there just adds a bit of, I don't know, uncertainty to me, a bit of, a bit of tension.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was listening to the song a few days ago and I was trying to convince myself that this is the closest that Fugazi would come to like almost like a jazz track. (laughs) Hmm. just like that 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 cool bass line with with the drummer kind of doing his thing and the other guys laying back and just making sounds i don't know if i would go that far as to call it jazz but um uh, yeah brendan's drumming in this song and and like i said that outro and and i don't know what kind of time signatures he's using but you know it every kind of four beats it kind of changes and you don't know what's coming next it's hard to even really you know remember it even hearing the song 15 20 times yeah in the last just, couple of days
0: i think it's just it's four four time but it's just super syncopated and he's yeah really playing outside and playing against the the tempo of of the song and and doing interesting stuff in that out in that outro, yeah. I think the yeah. I think the jazz thing is warranted because another part of that is Gee's guitar part that, that's kind of like a almost like a lead line going throughout the song. He's mm-hmm. it's it's one of those Gee parts that's very um I don't know very saturated with distortion, um, but since he's only playing like single notes at a time, it sounds fluid in a way, almost you know almost right. saxophony or um,
1: exactly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I hear it. <laughs> um, th- th- there's another note. I just wanted to, you know, I, I clipped a little piece of an article about Tina Madoti that I just wanted to maybe read for a second to just kind of give people <laughs> more of an idea of how radical and amazing this woman was and the things that she was, you know, subject to, um, Modotti began a relationship with Xavier Guerrero, who was a member of the Mexican Communist Party in 1927. Guerrero was sent to Moscow for a year to take part in the political party training, and by 1928, Modotti had met and begun a relationship with the exiled Cuban activist Julio Antonio Mella. During this same period, economic and political conflicts within Mexico, and indeed much of Central and South America, were intensifying, and this included increased repression of political dissidents. In, in 1929, Mello was assassinated while walking with Medotti from the offices of Red Aid. Medotti was immediately arrested, but later released and cleared of his murder. Shortly thereafter, an attempt was made on the life of the Mexican president, Pascual Ortiz Rubio. Medotti who was a target of both the Mexican and Italian political police, was questioned about both crimes amidst a concerted, anti-communist, anti-immigrant press campaign that depicted the fierce and bloody Medodi as the perpetrator, a Catholic zealot as the perpetrator and then it says a catholic zealot daniel luis flores was later charged with shooting rubio hmm. jose Magranat was arrested for Mela's murder so i mean she was just i mean she had so many different countries she was on their radar and you know she caused so much trouble but you know in a good way to me like everything that she did, she led, she led an amazing short life. I mean, she, I'm 45, she died the same age that I am now, and she did a hell of a lot more in her time than I have, I can tell you that.
0: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like such an interesting story to delve into. Um, you mentioned that she was in uh, in the Salma Hayek film Frida, uh, played by yes. Ashley Judd. I was, right. it, it also seems that she possibly will be played by Monica Bellucci in a TV miniseries. Yeah, but this was I heard announced in 2018. It appears never to have come out, so I don't know if it's still in development or if it's got uh, cancelled somehow. Um, but I would be, I'd be interested to check I, out that miniseries I, if they make it.
1: I, yeah, absolutely. I don't know if you know who Monica Bellucci is. She would be the perfect person to play her. You know, it's kind yeah. of this Italian beautiful bombshell. Um but she had other things on her mind. I mean, she she she, she was with, she, she had many relationships with many high-profile men. But she was also not interested in settling down and having a family. It was almost like she was fighting against that, you know, to fight for her cause. So I could see how Joe was so, you know, Joe, Joe was so interested by her, to learn about her, that, you know, he actually wrote a song and Fugazi actually put it third on their album it's the third song on the album you know
0: yeah um yeah that's interesting she, she never had kids huh um no yeah because because that first stanza recap and taxi no clothes no food take care of the children we'll send for you soon mm-hmm. i wonder i wonder what the what the children are in in that stanza because like it's it's a very um it's a very impressionistic sketch that joe renders here in these lyrics and right. you get the sense that you know it's it's talking about a person, presumably uh, Tina Modotti, and she's you know once again uh, with just the clothes on her back, like going starting a new life somewhere else yet again. Um, yes. And, uh, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. But it, it's and it's interesting that you know you get that you get the the next lines alien, you find you feel at home everywhere, etc. And it's cool that this song comes right after the song Place Position in and yes. which is very much about that, right? It's it's Exactly. Gee's song about <laughs> nationalism and porous borders and immigration policy and things like that and and the idea of you know people who are uh stateless and and their citizenship to somewhere being you know attached to their worth as a person. So there's Right. There's a lot of thematic uh, connection between those two songs on the album
1: yeah, they did you know once I looked into the song deeply, it did surprise me that they would put those two songs kind of back to back. I mean, maybe there's something to it, and they did it on you know obviously they did it on purpose I, you know and the Kill" and Bayou, You," which are you know both I love all three songs. I think Bayou You" might be my favorite song by Joe. But I, I kind of feel like they're both kind of buried in the middle of the albums. And for this song to be third on the album, especially when Ian doesn't really have a full song yet on end hits, you know, he 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 has break, which is amazing. But it's just got a couple of quick lines and then, you know, goes into place position. So it's like you, you hear Joe on the album before you really hear Ian have much to say. Um, and again, that's something that I love about them. There's just, there's no egos involved and I could almost see Joe not wanting, like, you know, cause Joe obviously didn't have a song on repeater or steady diet or kill taker. I could almost see him fighting them. Like, no, I, you know, this is Ian, this is your band. I and mean, we already have two singers. Like, we don't need a third. <laughs> and then by red medicine, they finally convinced him to, you know, to do something. And I'm glad they did.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's there's so much, I mean, there are some lines also that it is hard to separate from the idea of who I think of, uh, you know, Fugazi as a band, um, because, of, of course, they toured so much that I feel like they had maybe a special affinity for people who, <laughs> like Tina, who who spent their lives globe trotting um i guess right. globe is too glamorous a word for what she did i guess it, but uh, yeah uh, right but yeah and not only that but the line you'll get by with so much less than anyone i mean that <laughs> that rings true with fugazi to me and and their sort of minimalist uh, way of yes. doing business as a band
1: without a doubt yeah I, you know i, I that line kind of you know strikes me as you know immigrants coming to this country feeling like they're being promised the world you know america is the place where you know come here and you'll you know be rich and famous and everything will work out beautifully for you and then they come here and they are you know are not treated the way they thought they would be and you know obviously the last <laughs> the last bunch of years has been a complete nightmare for immigration this is why People say it, and it's a cliche, like I see it all the time, you know, Fugazi, we need you now more than ever, (laughs) but it really is true. I mean, they were needed then too, when they were around, but I I just can't, I mean, I know they're a lot older and their live shows wouldn't be as intense, but I I, I can't help but wonder what their lyrics and, and, you know, like the songs that they would write, they'd have so much material to to ignite them to write this you know amazing album if they ever chose to hmm. but then this part of me that i don't know how you feel about it This part of me that's like nah let's just leave it alone they existed for you know 13 14 years and it, it was perfect they you know they have they have their albums they did their work and
0: now, i feel like i've been burned enough times in my life by things that i love sort of coming back in in a in a worse form <laughs> that that I'm like you know what I'm going to I'm going to be satisfied with the fugazi that I had um, yeah
1: i i think i'm with you i I would probably be a little let down
0: you you mentioned though like about uh immigrants coming to you know a, a country thinking things would be one way and then finding out that they're not that way is that your read on the stanza that goes deceived and trapped through belief etc
1: yes without a doubt Uh, you know and then instead we stand over the dead the culture is all uh, the vultures all well fed killers running free Uh, without a doubt that's you know that's Mm -hmm. what i thought maybe after learning about tina um you know it, it might have different meaning behind it but before you know, before I really looked into her and her life, that's what I really thought it was about, is just the the promise of this glorious life if you come to America where everything is just perfect. <laughs> and then you come here and you know your children are put in cages and you're arrested and held in captivity and all of this nonsense. I honestly, Ian, try not to even follow it too much because I, I get very like depressed about these things like it really upsets me yeah and i know that's really not the right thing to do is to you know turn a blind eye but i i I really do try to shelter myself from these types of things because it's just it's very upsetting to me very
0: i feel like um i feel like i remember chad clark on the birthday pony episode saying something similar or or one of his friends told him like Uh i can't take it anymore I, i just I've just had to tune out from the news because it's uh, you know, yeah, it's too terrible. My, my
1: my wife and I are just done. We we thankfully have two nine-year-olds that most of the time are watching, you know, iCarly or whatever little kitty shows or movies that they watch, and you know, we're hanging out in the background trying to hide from everything. Especially the, especially the environment we live in, where we live, it's Trump flags and. Uh, you know conservatism ev- everywhere and you know you got you got to find your little pockets of people that you know you you have things in common with otherwise it's a nightmare out there
0: something i was gonna bring up that confuses me a little in the song is the uh the question of pronouns here because in early in the song it sounds like He's uh, he's using the word you to refer to Tina Modotti, you know, alien. You find you feel at home everywhere. You'll get by with so much less than anyone, etc. So it's like a song he's singing about you, about uh, Tina. And in the very end of the song, we get the word I. Outside the window, the passing night sky fills with people I know taking me home. Um, right. So, so I'm wondering, what's happening there? Is he? Uh, are are these like two separate people or? Over the course of the song, maybe, is he finding himself, like, he he feels like Tina Modati represents him or something he closely relates to, so he sort of becomes her throughout the course of the song?
1: Yeah, he could be singing from her perspective, absolutely. I always took that stanza to mean somebody being deported. (laughs) You know, outside the window, the passing night sky fills with people I know taking me home. You know, you're starting to rec. You're looking out the window. You're starting to recognize either people or you know buildings or whatever. You're looking outside the plane or the bus or whatever is deporting you back to your your country. Um, that's how I always took the ending of it. But yes, she could you know absolutely be singing from her perspective as well.
0: But of course, since she died in a taxi, yeah, taking yeah. me home certainly right. could could be about death. In uh, in an interesting way, or yeah, could be about both.
1: Yeah, it could could be. You know, I have watched a couple of uh, podcasts with Joe. He's got two at least on YouTube. Um, he actually did an interview. With these these two young kids. It's it's a I think it's a brother and a sister. They can't be older than like twelve or thirteen. Oh, the same have ones that uh,
0: that Ian McKay talked to.
1: Yeah, Ian and you know many other. Legendary hardcore punk figures.
0: I saw the Ian Mackay one, but I didn't see the Joe one yet.
1: Yeah, Joe did it as well. And, you know, he kind of kept mentioning, they, they would ask him outright questions. And he kept, his answer was always, you know, we like to leave certain things up to interpretation and let you figure it out. And I've heard ian say that many times too whatever the song means to you that's what it means sure you know i've probably listened to you know a hundred podcasts or interviews with ian you know i i work i you know i'm outside all day so i just come and i'm by myself so i always have you know headphones in and i'm always listening to a podcast or an interview or music and you know that that's one thing that the band is really agreeable on is whatever you interpret it as as silly as you you may think it is if that's what it means to you then that's what it is
0: it's time for me to ask you Rob Reginio on this podcast we talk about ratings do you like me do you like me do you like me what do you think about Recap Modati on a scale of 1 to 5 stars in the context of the Fugazi catalog can you rate this song
1: of course I can yes um you know i don't know if you could really give a five to anything because where do you go from there um i have a few songs that i might give a five to i mean they're all fives to me in terms of uh, being realistic here i'd probably give this song a (laughs) 3.75 just just under a four only because it's, it's it's Lyrically, it's a shorter song, and um, it's it's not. It, you know, I I enjoy a lot more of the you know louder, more aggressive songs. You know, being obvious that In on a Killtaker is my favorite Fugazi album, followed by Red Medicine. But you know, solid three point seven five. How about you?
0: Nice. I think I'm gonna go right down the middle with this one and say three. It's uh, it's okay. one of those, and I I think things that i feel like are a a three in the fugazi catalog are the hardest for me because i'm like i'm not sure how to feel about it i do love like it it sets a mood so effectively and there is a lot that i like about it like the yeah the interesting drumming at the end comes to mind the the (coughs) classic joe bass line the interesting gee little lead guitar stuff um it's uh it's it's effective at what it does you can say that for sure
1: absolutely it's beautifully placed on the album it's just a beautiful piece of music fits perfectly on this album and like you said it's not you know one of their if you're going to go see them live you're not saying to yourself oh my god i hope they play recap modati <laughs> but i you know i get what you're saying
0: um well to get some outside opinions let's turn to the alphabetical fugazi facebook page where Justin Rushgalb said uh, Joe's songs are so fucking good and, and they never get the credit they deserve. This song has such a big mood. I couldn't imagine end hits without it. Very poignant lyrics that are on the nose about immigration. Such a beautiful and empathetic song. Yep. Um, Justin Stiegel says one of the best tracks on end hits, if not one of the best Fugazi songs, period. The main bass groove can really stick in your head for days. Um Tony anyway. Ramos says if there was ever a safe and warm point of entry into Fugazi for a diehard radiohead fan of the okay computer slash kid A era, it would be this tune. Yeah, uh, that's that's a pretty interesting observation. I could I could see this buddying up against a a middle period radiohead uh song. Yeah. I think those I think they could share space on a mixtape.
1: Um, uh m- musically absolutely uh vocally <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm not the, i'm not the biggest radiohead fan but musically yeah I, yeah I wouldn't disagree
0: uh bradford reed goodwin says the storytelling of the lyrics is striking heard from tina modati's perspective the first two verses recap what she's told during her extradition in a taxi then act two arrives punctuated by the double air quotes of Guy's rickenbacker and the narration shifts from second person into first person just like that, we find ourselves in the victim's shoes, sent home in a death cab, by an immigration system that objectifies when it ought to empathize, which is the song superpower. Um, yeah, two two comments uh, making use of the song emp- uh, use of the word empathy. Um, right, that's that's an interesting observation. Yeah,
1: that was very interesting. Um, he, it sounds like he knows like a lot about the topic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um. So. Um, yeah, those are those are just a, a little sampling of the comments and um that sort of brings us home except uh, one more thing which is plugs. Never mind what's the uh, I'm wondering Rob, do you have anything you'd like to point out to my listeners?
1: Oh, uh, well, I'm not really a social media user. I, you know, I am on Facebook just because, you know, I joined it 100 years ago like everybody else did and I've been on it more recently now because of your page. So if anybody just sees me on there, you know, say hello. Uh, you know, I like mixing it up with the people on your page and talking about favorite songs or live shows, things like that. That's all. I don't really use any of the social media, Ian.
0: Right on. Well, I'm grateful to you for coming on and tackling this song with me. Um, interesting discussion. And uh, I wish you well, man. Thanks for listening and thanks for taking part.
1: Thank you, Ian. I really appreciate you having me. Like I said, it's an honor being here, especially amongst some of the guests that you had. And, you know, I look forward to the coming episodes, buddy. Thank you so much.
0: So do I, man. So do I. Well, uh, people out there, uh, if you want to email me, you can reach me at z at gmail.com. Uh, you can join that Facebook group. You just search for the alphabetical fugazi, and uh, there it is. And you can add your opinions to whatever song I'm posting about uh, that particular week. So, uh, yeah, do that. And I hope you'll join me again for the next episode when we'll be discussing something we've talked about before on this episode reclamation. Until then, keep your eyes open. <laughs>